This is the Head Torch Podcast. Welcome. Our mission, to create a mentally healthy culture at work. Keeping the conversations alive, our podcasts bring you great presenters and stimulating discussion on mental health and well-being in the workplace. Enjoy. Welcome in, everybody. Lovely to have you here with us for our Wellbeing Hour this month. I'm Amy McDonald. I'm Angus Robinson. And it's lovely to have you here. And of course, our special guest is Paul Sheeran, who I'll be introducing more formally shortly. And we also have our colleague, Nick, who is beavering away in the background, making all things technical possible, which is great. So if you haven't realized already, we are recording this session. So for those of you that don't know us, we are Head Torch and we do all things to enable organizations to develop and create a mentally healthy culture. So we work with every level within an organization, most senior team managers, frontline people. And it's all about, as I said, working to to develop that mentally healthy culture. We work with all kinds of organizations, large, small, public, private, uh, international, local. It really doesn't matter because, as you know, mental health and well-being is relevant for each and every one of us. So welcome, welcome to this well-being hour. Let me just, first of all, give you a rundown of what we're going to be doing over the during the session. So first of all, I'm going to introduce our guest, Paul Sheeran, and then, then Paul will introduce himself using a mystery object. And then he and I will get into conversation. And so I'll be asking him all about his his life and the importance of mental health, well-being and so on in his in his working career. And then he's going to pose us all a question. So we'll have a chance to interact, you know, you know, open up your mic equally. You can put questions into the chat and pick up on those as well. But it would be lovely to hear some other voices on this session too. And then Paul will share some of his top tips with us. And then that will be it. We'll be announcing what the next session will be and the uh, next guest that we have coming up for you in, in June. So let me introduce Paul Sheeran to you. Paul is the chief exec at Scottish Engineering and has been since 2018. We first met Paul a few years ago now when we did some work together with Scottish Engineering for their members. And since then, really, we have developed a, a very strong collaborative partnership and so much so that we're delighted to be gold sponsoring their awards dinner, which is next Thursday night here in Glasgow. So we're really looking forward to being there with you, Paul. Amongst his glittering career, he Paul has been managing director at Polaroid. He's been VP Global Operations of Polaroid's sunglasses business. And on top of all of that and his current duties, he is now acting as Dumbartonshire Area Team Chair uh, for Young Enterprise Scotland, which she's been involved in for about 15 years or so. So a very warm welcome to you, Paul. If you'd now like to just uh, share your mystery object and let us hear a little bit more about you from, from you. Okay. Well, welcome everyone. Uh, thanks very much. So 
as Amy said, I'm Paul Sheeran. My, my background in, has been in engineering, and I suppose I picked this object. Let me just show you what the object is so you start guessing what it is. So it's an aluminium platen with a rubber with these holes. And I'll explain in a second. So I chose that one because I have been someone who engineering's always kind of been something I love since as, as long as I can remember. I famously in my house when I was eight years old, the first time I remember electrocuting myself because I took the switch apart in my bedroom to try and work out how it worked while the light was still on. I fixed bikes. I started helping my dad take engines out of cars and all that stuff when I was about 10. And so that's been a theme for me. I picked this one because it actually comes from a time quite nearest the start of my career and it was actually a Polaroid. So what I just showed you is a platen separation block for making instant peel apart film. And we had launched a product, which I'll be honest, it was successful commercially, selling really, really well, but it didn't want to get itself made. Um, we'd spent um, a lot of money on automation equipment that frankly didn't work. Um, the, because it was a film product, um, all the machinery was in a dark room. You had to go in only using um, night vision goggles. It was hot, it was stuffy. We ran 24 hours a day, seven days a week because the demand for the product always outstripped what we could produce. We had people on really unpopular shift patterns, one of those 35 day rotating ones where you just always felt like you're on night shift forever. And it was tough uh, and it never stopped. And of course I was in a sort of engineer managing role um, and because it went so badly, I always felt that I had to be there. And I, I ended up, it was probably one of those times in my life where I let work-life balance get massively out of, out of balance. So I've kept that on my desk since about, I think 1999 when the, we pulled the plug, cause it was just, it was just so painful and, and not working. And I kept it and I kept it as a reminder, not of a really terrible time, but as a reminder is that, you know, if you, if you put your shoulder and you can get through something and there will always be a better day coming. I think I am generally, if you want, if you want to be a happy person, you have to choose to be a happy person. So I look at that and think, well, I got through that, <laughs> through that. I think I can live through most things. And so it's been on my desk ever since. So that, that's my uh, mystery object for today. Full on engineering tech stuff, I'm afraid. Fantastic, Paul, that's brilliant. So it's not a domino then, no. It's better. <laughs> Was I first guessed? Brilliant. Uh, if you're not that familiar with Zoom, folks, uh, top right-hand corner, you'll get speaker view. And so so you'll have Paul full, full view. So, Paul, tell us a little bit then. Let's hear some of, about some of your career. You left uni, 1990. Dead. Way back then. Then what happened? I left the university in 1990, and it's it's important to say I left university. I didn't leave university with a degree in 1990. That didn't come till 1990. Um, and I think it's important to, I think, some perspective on it. I went to join Sizewell B Nuclear Power Station on the project team for that. I knew I wanted to do that because I'd worked in the north of Scotland on, in Dunry on the, on the fast reactor nuclear power development site there in the summers and done placements. I love the industry. I love the scale and size of the engineering. So I went off to work at Sizewell B as a control system engineer. I landed there, landed on my feet a bit because I didn't have a degree yet, but I did have, I'd done programming at university. I kind of went down that route in my electrical electronic engineering degree. And believe it, you know, I had, I had some French language skills 
And so I landed so, on, yeah. we, and I landed <laughs> on the, I landed on the, 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 the job of managing the contract for the control system for the, for, for size will be and engineers famously terrible at learning languages and, and doing that. So I ended up working with this company in France to develop the, the software and, and, and the hardware for the control system for Sidewell Beat Power Station. Wow. So it sounds like you were, you were getting involved in something that excited you and it was enabling you to travel and develop language as well. How exciting. Fantastic. Yeah. And then it, it, they fell away because they, they were struggling to keep up with the contract. So a decision was taken to, to drop them. Contract was moved to Westinghouse in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And now I was sitting in that position where I was prime candidate to go and be placed in, in Pittsburgh to try and catch back on the program and, and also learn the technology, learn the software and, and transfer it to, to the team and uh, back in the UK. So yeah, great times. I was, I think I was still only 23 when I went there and it was just the most exciting thing in the world. I thought, wow, this is it. It's fabulous. I have, you know, I thought really I've made it. And, and I say that after. Because I, you know, I wasn't a great student. I was not, I did not cover myself in glory with my, my academic pro. I did finally get my degree. So there was a bit of resilience to, to, to do that. But I think, you know, it felt to me like I'd kind of landed and I was now on track and career. I, I, I had a degree finally. Well, we all learn in different ways, don't we? So it sounds yeah. like you were, you were getting more excitement and learning on the job, really. I was, yeah, there's no doubt about that. I was well matched. You know, we all learn in different ways, but you're not going to learn much if you're lying in your bed. <laughs> well, talking, talking of which, what, what was starting to happen to, to your sleep patterns at that early stage? Yeah. So I, I, once I started getting into the job, which was really quick, I would say within the first two months, I really, and now I find that I thought something that I was good at and and more stuff came my way and I was asked to get involved in different things. But what I didn't do very well with was managing the responsibility and pressure of that. And I turned it into a worrying thing. So I had no, no capability on switching off. So I'd leave the end of the workday with things as always, which is normal workday with things undone and things that had to be prioritized. And there were some tricky things in the contract, particularly around dropping the French and moving to the US team. But my sleep just went downhill and it was something that I'd never thought about in my life. But I, I got into that pattern where I couldn't get to sleep at night and I threw in coping mechanisms, which in hindsight were just papering over the cracks. So anybody who's ever done listening to a radio really quietly last thing at night just to get to sleep or some of these other things, it, it got bad enough. You know, I tried all of the essential oils, lambda oil on the soles of your feet, acupuncture in my face last thing at night to, to try and help me. And you look back at them and I understand now that they were, as I say, papering over the cracks, but the pattern went to hell in a handbasket to you know, two, three, four in the morning before falling asleep. And it wasn't a very healthy pattern. Yeah. So what was it, what was it that was, that was keeping you up? Just that busy brain thing. Just that busy brain thing and probably honestly, a little bit of self-doubt. So the self-doubt coming from the, right, you haven't done that today and you really should have had that done and you've not resolved this problem here. And what are you going to do about that? And oh no, here we go again. This is just like university all over again. Yeah. 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 It's the internal dialogue. I think that you, you, you strike up. Right. 
And then in the in the states, how did that work life balance impact on you there? So it wasn't too bad. Well, Westinghouse wasn't great. So Westinghouse um, being placed there, they were a mandatory six days a week uh, workplace. Um, if you got in it, if you got in in the US, and apologies to any 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 US colleagues are on 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 the call today because it's always bad to 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 kind of stereotype any, but I th- I think there is a challenge in the US with working hours, and I think there's a challenge with presenteeism. It wasn't good form to be seen coming in after half past six in the morning, and it certainly wasn't good form to be seen leaving before six o'clock at night. Um, they say Saturday mornings were mandatory and it was the same, you know, half past six was the expectation. Um, and are we talking the 1990s here or early yeah. 2000s or? So 19, 1992, 1993 was when I was with Westinghouse. I went back, my wife and I went and lived and worked in um, the US in 1994, went to Michigan on the back of that, that, that kind of piece. But I ended up working for a much smaller kind of family owned company. Um, and I thought that, that Westinghouse was not the greatest of balance, but, but working for a family owned company in the US, it, it, it's a different level. Absolutely no qualms about phoning you on a Sunday night and saying, you need to pack up, put your stuff in the car and drive to this plant. They've got a control system problem and, and you need to be there because they're going to be starting up tomorrow morning. So yeah. And, so, and in the meantime, was your sleep the same or oh, had it? Shocking. Absolutely. Shocking. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, and, and now I was kind of adding some bad habits because this all, you know, work-life balance thing coming from, you know, the, we were just always on. So it was, you're always on and you're always, you know, sort of expect to be on, on, on call. Wow. What was the, what was the wider impact for you at that time? So I, I, I don't think I can overplay the, the wider impact too much because I'm, I do, I do think the bit that got me through it was you know, can I, I'm reasonably good at sort of brushing things and going, okay, well, it's a bit hard and it's a bit of hard work here and stuff. I think the wider impact is lack of sleep's just really not good for you and it's not good for your, for your, for your mood. And I think it can, lack of sleep can lead to when you're not at your best the next day, you can get into that habit of going, okay, here we go again. And it's because you're not sleeping, you're not sleeping because of this and because you're not doing enough, you're not getting things done quickly enough. I think it'll be a really negative cycle. Um, yeah. And and you can break it by by getting getting some sleep back is is the easy way, but it's it's easier said than done. Once you get in a bad sleep pattern, you know, once you get in some bad habits, it's it's really not good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It sounds sounds really tough. So I'm not quite sure the the lie, but you're in Michigan, and then you joined Polaroid in yeah. Nashville. Is that right? Came back to to Scotland um, and managed to get a job with Polaroid. I kid you not, they were looking for a control system engineer who 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 would be based in Scotland, but could speak American was their, their phrase. And I just did that from, you know, years of that. So yeah, then the first project that they put me on was send me back to live in Nashville, Tennessee. And I had a great, great gig with Polaroid. I mean, I just, I just seemed to, I, I was in that cycle where, and I think it's one to watch if you've got a slightly addictive personality. And I do think I do. Then when things go well, you go, well, I did well because I did that. So let's do more of that and more of that and more of that. And so you get in a bit of a cycle. But with Polaroid, I, I really reap the rewards. I got 
moved through, you know, an engineer managing position and then I was heading up a division and then I was the engineer manager for the whole site and then I was site director and then managing director and then, you know, and then on to being a, a you know, a vice president of, of global operations for their eyewear business. So I really, you know, reaped the rewards of this kind of work cycle and work pattern. And, and I did really enjoy it and lots of fabulous travel and lots of great people that I got to meet and work with around the world, but still, you know, not great sleep pattern that, that was, was always there and, and something that I was just kind of coping around. Yeah, yeah. How do you think your colleagues at the time would describe the impact of your lack of sleep? I, that's a great question, Amy. I have no idea. Um, like most people in that situation, I, I kid myself on that I hid it, hid it really well. Um, but that won't be the case, will it? Um, but you know, there's a great honest question that I should ask some of them. Um, um, that would be it. That would be interesting to hear the answer. Yeah. Grand. Well, so you were at Polaroid, things were going really well and you had a great boss, didn't you? Polaroid at the time. I did. I did. I had, so. The chief executive officer of Polaroid at the time was a guy called Tom Bowden, and he was brilliant. He was great because he was a great coach. He didn't ever have much time because he had such a big role, but what he did with his time in terms of those conversations was really, really useful. It took a bit of getting used to it because in the American phrase, he was really candid, but candid in the way was he, he didn't say things to hurt your feelings or, or make you feel bad. He said it because he wanted to help you. And he had some great things about when you do these things, Paul, it's great and you should do more of them. And when you do these things, it's awful and you should not do those things. And <laughs> so Blunt was his first name. Blunt. And, and he, he identified something in, in me, which was, I don't know whether it's related or not. He, he said, look, you need to get hold of your temper. This, this short temper, this, this slightly aggressive, that's a lie, this aggressive stance that you can be in your default is not helping you. That's one of the things when you do that, you should stop doing that. When you do all these other things, do them more, but this one's not working for you. Wow. How that, did that, how did that feel when he told you that? Well, how do you think? <laughs> I do know. I think quite quickly because, because the relationship with him was, was strong enough. But I think by the time I got home that night, I was going, Tom wouldn't have said that to me unless he really meant that that's something you're going to have to fix or else you're not going to have the career that you want to have. So I think it was stung for the first, I don't know, six hours, but then a little bit of thinking time and, and, and I think it sunk in. And he turned around and said, look, I'm going to send you on this, this, this event, this six day residential event that, that I think you need. And some people, some senior people that I work with in that Polaroid have done, and it's called the Harold Bridger Working Conference. And I'm going to send you to that because I think it can help you. Wow. So tell us about the conference. What, what happened? So it, it came at a time when I was up to my neck in it. I was, I think, working flat out, not sleeping as usual, not very much. And so I was, and all the bad bits of me were going, what is this for? Six days. And it was six days, no laptop, six days, no phones, all that kind of stuff. Uh, they wanted your full attention. And there was no details for it. So I'm looking at it going, the engineer's mind and looking at it going, what's this all about? You know, where's the structure? What is it? 
you know, I'm expecting things broken down into 15 minute chunks for the day and there's nothing like that. And it talks about, we're going to examine the qualities that make a good leader. And then every now and again, we're going to stop and ask ourselves how we're doing with the task of examining the qualities that make a good leader. And I'm like, oh, that's just, that's so vague, come on. So I went to it, you know, and it started on a Sunday and I probably, you know, I arrived skeptical and had all my skepticism confirmed within the first few minutes. And the Harold Bridger thing is, he's it's reasonably well known in those circles. It's called the two task method. And it was, it was, it was something that, that, that he came up with with our, the guinea pigged it with a bunch of other um, psychologists and, um, um, to, to, to work this out. And it was about this self-development tool, which is the act of Provoking, provoking conflict, if we're honest, by, you know, let's examine the qualities, make a good leader, because we all have different opinions of that. And then the real killer bit of stopping every now and then, how we're doing as a group. So I, I, I went into that. I sat there fuming. The first day we did that full day of, for me, just utter nonsense, just staring at our belly buttons. And we sat down at the end of the day and the, the leader of the working conference said, we're going to pause now. And, and open the floor to thoughts about our learnings of today. And I'm sitting there going, well, I've learned nothing. I've wasted the day. I could have been working. I could have been doing stuff. And not only that, but nobody said anything. And nobody said anything for, for what me felt a long time. Well, I know how long it was because I timed it. It's four and a half minutes. Four and a half minutes, a long, long time when, when you're waiting for something to happen. And then somebody opened his mouth. And it was one of the, the psychologists um, and said, I feel like my mind has expanded to fill the room and now includes the birds flying outside the windows. <laughs> Fantastic. And how I, did you react to that? Well, if I could have been a cartoon character, my head would have exploded. <laughs> <laughs> so how did it continue on then for the, for the rest of the week? So... I think by Monday afternoon, I made my, my, my attempt at a coup to take over. And we were all in individual working groups and I, I, I came back and I said, all right, come on. I, I don't know where you lot, but this isn't working for me. We've got no structure. We've got no order. We've got no nothing. Oh, and by the way, I think we need a leader. And if nobody else is willing to do it, I'll do it. And I got, a, you know, in psychological terms, just an absolute kicking for the next two hours. Absolutely. And, and rightly so, every bit deserved. And so then I did, uh, and it was strong enough that I, I, I did about, I think I did about a day of listening, wow. not speaking and not in a half or anything. I'm genuinely just listening and, and processing. And then and was I, that? I, interesting, not usual for me. I think the next day I started interacting and then Thursday evening, after a full day of this, and it was a sunny day. And so you've been worked. there Sunday to Thursday by that time. Yeah, Thursday, Thursday went went up to the the the, the, the big biggest conference room, and the, the they always opened it, the phrase in the same one. We'll now review the learnings of today, and instead of looking at my watch, I started thinking about what I'd felt and learned and seen in the last week, and. I didn't look, you know, not looking at my watch. So I'm just thinking about that. And I had this idea that like lots of confusing things, uh, like dust particles in the air. And some of that would pull because of the sunlight coming in the, in the windows. 
But then I had this idea about them clumping together into sort of more sort of valid thoughts and more sort of useful kind of directions. And then the, the thoughts started flying around the room around me. And it was the first time I think in my life where I ever got into something approaching a sort of meditative state. Um, and I, you know, I, that, that's what came from, from, from those days. And it was a really, really excellent experience because it was, I don't think I'd ever felt anything as calming in my life. Wow. Wow. So if you could sum up what you took away from that whole experience, what would it be? So I arrived as a horrible skeptic. I had a light bulb moment, you know, not, and not just that, that one sitting there was over the course of the days. And what that did for me was it said, it opened the door to, we need to get an understanding of what your mind can do for you and what, 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 and how much it's, it's malleable, how much it can be controlled. And it was sort of a gateway into some other things. I, I, I became a real fan of neuro-linguistic neuro programming, did a bit of mindfulness, uh, which I still do now. And the big thing that came from it was that realization that you can control your mind more than you think you can. And the NLP particularly helped me understand that, you know, I wasn't sleeping because I wasn't getting control of that thinking pattern. And whether I know that some people, NLP is a blunt tool and, and it uses some crude kind of analogies that, 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 that but the, the idea of separating out the understanding of your conscious and your subconscious. So that, you know, so I like this idea that your conscious is the world's nastiest, cheapest 50 pounds calculator. It does plus minus subtraction and division. And that's it. It's the input output. And your subconscious is the world's most powerful supercomputer. It can do anything you want it to, but the problem is, is it's programmed with your conscious or it's mucked up by your conscious. So, you know, the great example there is, you know, anybody who's running around their house trying to find their car keys going, oh, I can't again, I can't find them. Well, somebody will have moved them. And, you know, that was explained to me is, is that's your, your conscious telling your subconscious, we don't want to find the car keys. And your subconscious going, that's fine. We don't need to find the, the car key. Yeah. And the minute something happens, like the doorbell rings and stops your conscious. So it's like the dumbest thing. It goes, oh, doorbell, doorbell, doorbell. And your subconscious goes, that's the keys over there. All oh, right, sitting right in front of my face. So, you know, that was a real... Okay, because that's happened to me. And, and then from there, it was building up techniques to say, right, how am I going to stop this monkey mind running around throwing mud at me and when I want to go to sleep? Um, how am I going to get that under control? And I used mindful te mindfulness technique, just a straight breathing exercise, you know, that folks that do yoga will know well that's um, doing that and a bit of a swish method that just keeps saying anything that comes popping in, I just say, I know you're important. I'll deal with you tomorrow, but I'm not dealing with you just now. And you have to practice and you have to keep your practice up if it's going to work for you, but, but it does. And yeah, it's enabled a kind of different way of thinking about how you communicate with people, how you put yourself in their shoes, if you really want to communicate with them um, and, and a bunch of stuff like that. Fantastic. That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your, your story, Paul. It's absolutely brilliant. So how long now has your your sleep been improved? So I think it took about a year after the Harold Bridger, because I, I went and found the first NLP course myself. I went and did that actually within four weeks of doing NLP. I've never looked back. 
and and sleep's not been an issue for me since. Wow! But it was that it was that significant moment at Hal Bridger that made was the beginning, if you like, of that journey. Yeah, yeah, I I definitely you know that that whole process of arriving as a skeptic, being true to myself, which was I'm going to take over the world and not in a nice way, uh, and then getting getting the crap kicked out of me verbally. That was the enabler. That was the enabler. Yeah, that's right. Often we need to fall to find the right place, right? When we stand up again, to help us stand up again in a different way. Yep. Great. Well, you have a, a question that you'd like to share with, with all of us. I'm just going to share that on the screen with you now. So, Paul, would you like to share this question? Yeah. So what, one of the things that, that's come from getting a better handle on that is 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 understanding, you know, a few alarm signals that warns me that my mood is slipping and it needs attention. And I'd love to hear from others what, what theirs are. And I think I think it could be useful for us all. Yeah, great. So if you would like to share your thoughts with us on this question and or ask Paul any other questions, please, if you could use the reaction symbol, we can... And then you can unmute and we'll hear your question. And we'll put that question there into the, it's in the chat already for you, just to remind you of our question. Jennifer McDonald, yes. Would you like to unmute yourself? Are you Jennifer or Jenny? I am. I am Jennifer or Jen. Hi, Paul. Thank you for that. I am. Do you want it? Sorry, Jennifer, could you just, could you just tell us where you're, what organization you work with, first of all? Of course, I work for NMITS, the National Manufacturing Institute of Scotland, and I am the new diversity manager, clearly slayer engineer, so shift patterns, night shift, done all that. My question to you is, do you think if you'd had control over your sleep or the sleep systems you had when you were younger, would you have been as successful or more successful or less successful depending on the kind of environment you were in? Thanks, Jennifer. Um, so I think I think the sleep patterns were just were just a, a, a part of of the overall. So if you look at the Harold Bridger Conference, so the Harold Bridger Conference opened the door to me to fixing my sleep pattern. But the other thing that it did was it it gave Tom Bowden what he wanted, which was I got a handle on you know that bit of the aggression and conflict, you know and 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 realized I was never going to to bring people with me by doing that. I, you know, it was the conflict within that within the Harold Bridger Working Conference that I saw firsthand that that I initiated was such a learning moment because it was painful, really painful. But also, what was useful about it was over the days you saw why it was so personally hurtful to the people who I was working with and what and what I did. And I think what you don't get in the workplace is things happen, you know, and, you know, maybe you apologize, maybe you discuss it out for 15, 20 minutes, and then you walk away. We're literally locked in a room with these same people for the next, what, five days after, after that incident. And what you get from that is really understand why people reacted to that in that way. And you ask, get to ask yourself, do you want to be like that? Is that, is that the kind of person you want to be? You really want to be hurtful, and, and you know, and I, I don't think there's anything that's easier to help you change 
your behaviors, then, then that kind of, that, that understanding. And I think that the only thing is, is we often in life, we just don't have time to get to that level of understanding. And that was the great thing about that situation. Thank you. Wow. Fantastic. We have another question or thoughts on the question. Don't be shy. Ask the question, Amy, is okay if I talk? Because I asked the question because it definitely for me is, I've got some, some, some markers that, that are irritability and yes. being short, short with, with people is the first sign for me that I am drifting away and what I know will fall from it if I don't do something about it is as, as a down cycle in my mood uh, and I'm weary enough of that to, to, to watch out for it and pull back up. I'm interested in We've got a comment the, there the correlation Darren. between, I'm interested in the correlation Jim, between. I might have to wait for four Sorry, minutes. Angus, could you just mute yourself? There we go. Sorry about that. Yeah, I'm interested in the correlation between that, that, that irritability and sleep. Yeah, so, and I see, hi, Sandra Mulligan, broken sleep is the signal for me. Um, so what, the irritability, I think, comes to... When you start getting annoyed with yourself, it becomes harder then at night to, 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 to switch off and say, right, it's, this is sleep time. Because for me, having had that experience when I'm irritable and I'm unfair with people during the day, the raking the coals of why are you doing that again? Why are we back to this? Why are we, you know, oh, here we go again, you know, these, you know, back to our old bad ways and bad behaviors. I think that becomes the, the, the trigger for, you know, it's much harder to switch off from that. It's much harder to, to switch off and go, you know, that wasn't, you, you know, you've acted in that unfair way right today. And it's much harder to just go, okay, I'll deal with you tomorrow. Cause it's not deal with you tomorrow. It's what you did today. And I think you can have just that eternal review of why are we back to this? Why are we back to this? So right. that, that's, that's the signal and the, and the worry to watch out for. It's about, it's about stilling the mind, isn't it? Absolutely about stilling the mind. I'm um, dipping into a book at the moment called Chatter by Ethan Cross. Have you come across that? He's, a, he's, he's an American academic, Cross is K-R-O-S-S, and it's really very interesting around how lots of different methods, but also kind of the background to why we chatter and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I'd recommend it. I've got a few comments coming in here now or in the chat. Sandra, do you want to share a little bit of your thinking? Broken sleep is the signal for me. Do you want to share a little bit about that? Hi, Amy. Yes, Hi. thanks very much. And thanks very much, Paul. Yeah, sorry. Do you want to tell us also where, where which organisation are you calling in from? Oh, sorry. Hi, I'm Sandra Mulligan and I work as a, a business development manager with the Institution of Mechanical Engineers. So I'm based in Glasgow and... Well, pre-COVID worked with members in Glasgow and Scotland, but post-COVID is working with members globally, really. So, mm. and like that, I've had to change my work pattern from somebody who's out and about meeting people all the time to somebody who's at home doing mm. presentations via Teams like this all the time with people not having cameras on, not contributing, et cetera. 
But I, I've certainly noticed that, you know, for me, I'm, I'm naturally a sort of worrier. I'm the eldest of eight children. So I've always been the very sort of responsible person in the family. And I tend to put my needs last as a result. So I find I get very, very busy. And unless I make the time to, you know, try and get a walk and some fresh air during the day, try and do something to relax at night, be that, you know, play a little bit of tennis or or have a bath or whatever, I will be able to get to sleep fine. But then I'll be awake two, three, four o'clock in the morning, mulling over work stuff and stuff that's bothering me and not able to get back to sleep and then going around like a zombie the next day. So... For me, that's a signal that, okay, I need to review what I'm doing and make a little bit of time for myself so that I can actually relax. Because I think getting good sleep is really, really important. Yeah, yeah. It's so important. It's, I think it's, for me, just butting in here, Paul, sorry, it's for you, but for me, it's about so much of how we sleep is about how, what we do during the day. Yes. Right? Yeah. It's, it's, much so. it's a direct, there's a direct link, isn't mm. it? Yeah. And the other, really, the other important thing I just wanted to mention was Paul has reminded me of years ago, I did a course uh, with MindStore, Jack Black, all about mm-hmm. the power of your subconscious mind. Mm-hmm. And that was excellent and fantastic. And I really enjoyed it. And needless to say, over the years, I've totally forgotten about it. So Paul, that's a really good reminder for me to actually go back and review some of that and try and put it into practice again. But thank you very much, though, for sharing your story with us today. That's really, really inspiring. Thank you. Lovely. Paul, what what are your thoughts? So, I think it's really useful to see you know the the the, the common themes. So, Alice and irritability does it for me. Skipping meals, not finding the type of nice path that you're headed down a rut. Um, and Jenny had said one of the signs, signals, but also mentioned start to feel frustrated and blaming others. I think that's a brilliant one, Jenny. I think when you get to the stage where you're looking for who else to blame other than yourself. <laughs> You know, it's like ding, 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 ding. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's so important, isn't it, that people can point out to you if you're unwell, you know, if you're, yeah. if you are becoming irritable. Miles, Miles Keane, would you like to share your, share your question? I'll share, first of all, where, which organization you're with, Miles. Good to see you. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm Miles Keane. I'm from uh, Keats, the uh, private bank. So work, work down in London. But I think, Paul, I think we met at Gogoburn a few years ago on, on uh, a conference. But no, I'll, I'll, I mean, I think your points are really, a really good one because, you know, knowing your triggers and, and knowing the signs uh, and actually doing something about it. Cause I'm, I'm having, thankfully my mental health concerns were, were quite in the past now, but I, I just totally ignored those sort of early warning signs and that that's really important to be aware of them. And, and like a lot of the people who spoken today, sleep was a real driver, but I also, I think the other thing was sort of just physical things like sort of teeth clenching and I don't know the odd sort of you there you just feeling tense and just sort of things spinning around in your head and I, and I think the the thing that I've learned is you know there's there's a few people that sort of you know, give yourself a rating of where you are on the anxiety scale and just doing that every now and then and then actually if you've had a bad day think about what might have driven that is it as bad as you think? You really test why you think it's a bad day because, you know, a lot of things don't actually materialize to, to the thought that you think they will do. And actually anchoring that point and then rather than worrying about it and letting it spin around your head, it's just thinking things through and just sort of setting aside some time. You know, don't carry it around in your head because that's just so exhausting. But when you've got a proper thing to deal with, it's, it's just allocating some time and, and actually taking a sort of a measured in control of approach to it rather than sort of 
you know, boosting the anxiety. But it's interesting. I mean, I'm quite good now under pressure, but when I, what's really important for me when I've got a lot on is to, is to, to not ignore those going for the walks or going to the gym or going for a run. And I find that when I do get stressed and I look back, it's often I've forgotten to do some of those really important building blocks that just keep your resilience very steady. Cause you know, I think that out of everything that I've learned, the, just getting fresh air and being exercising, no matter what you're, you know, you, you might not have to be a gym person, but you know, just building that in as part of your everyday routine is so important. And I think it was really difficult during lockdown that people can do that, you know, the whole distraction, cause that, hey, it keeps you fit, but B, it's just a distraction from all the stuff that's going on. Yeah. Um, Thanks, Miles. No, Thank you. Point, yeah. What, what do you, you got any thoughts on that, Paul? Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's, I think I can't, can't, can't agree more. I think looking for, for those triggers and, and the ones that are particularly individual and personal to you, I, you know, there's a whole thing about this that, that and I go back to the NLP, that the best thing about it was this about being honest with yourself. And that was. That was, that, 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 I think that's all about these personal triggers to get to them, to understand what they are, you have to be really honest. So the yes. blaming, a lot of people have mentioned about blaming others. And so, so Fleur has put something in there. Yeah. Getting to the point where you go, oh, I'm blaming others, uh, which really means, you know, stop and, and have a look at yourself. Um, I think, I think is, then it's a really important one, that one. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, it's, and it's vital, like, like Miles is saying to, to, Fresh air and exercise works for, for, for most of us, but it really it's about finding what, what works for you, right? It's, and that, that's the most important thing. Great. Well, thank you for sharing your comments, folks, and, and asking some questions. So Paul's got a few top tips for us now. So we'll just, we'll hear some of, some of them. So this is your first one, which we were just talking about there, Paul. Absolutely. So I, number one, I, I know that my mood will go if I, if I, if I go away from this one. So making room for express. And I am no athlete, I, I'm a plodder, but it's really important to me to, to do that. Yeah. So I think this one, you know, it does take a, a bit of time and it's investment that pre being forced to go to the Harold Bridger conference, I would have went, yeah, it sounds really interesting, but I'm too busy for that. And I think that's a fault. We could all fall into it and still do. So, but investing time and understanding how your and other minds work is a key. Yeah. And that goes into things like if it is mindfulness for you, then that would be something that, that taps in, but it's finding what, again, what works for you, isn't it? Cause I mean, personally, I like, I do art and I know that I go into that space, you know, and just kind of listen. It's about listening to yourself, isn't it? And being able to tap into that, finding, finding that space. Yeah. I think, I think that this area is a whole overlapping Venn diagram, you know, all, all these things, you know, yoga, mindfulness, psychology, the science of communication, personal excellence, neuro-linguistic program, they all kind of have an overlapping bit of the same. And they're different in some ways, but there's cores at the heart of them, which are, are, are the same. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Practice the techniques that allow you to worry about the things you can control and not the ones you can't. Yeah, I, I think this is, this one was, was a really key for me is that sorting out in your head is like, am I going around in circles on something I can't do anything about either ever or today? And it's really helpful. And again, it's one that's practicing that to the point where you go, oh, I can't ever do anything about you. Okay. I swish it away and off to the side 
you might come back, but I'm just going to swish you away. Or the other ones, which is, I do need to do something about you. And I can't do anything about you now. It's 11 o'clock at night and I need to go to sleep. So pushing that aside and saying, you know, I'm not, I can't control you now. So I'll come back to you tomorrow, but it's, you're, you know, off you go and out of the way. And it, yeah. you know, it's practicing it. It's the tricky because you learn it and you go, oh, great, good, got that sorted. And then you tail off and that's my own personal story. And then you go, right, okay, let's get back on that and make sure that we don't do that again. So it's going back to actually you have control over the thoughts that are taking you to things that you don't have control over. So it's saying, I, I don't need to think about that thing that I don't have control over. I have control over that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So if you agree that the only thing you get from conflict is more conflict, program your brain to insert pose now. Lovely. So that's lifted straight off of Gordon Robb NLP training, which is, you know, understanding that the, the worst thing you can do is they open your mouth and go. When you've got this, you know, collection of preformed model prejudices, all your biases, all your everything that's sitting in your brain you know, that, that you will hate yourself for later, you know, and even if it's just uh, reflect, responding to conflict with conflict, well, you're not so, so, so clever yourself, you know, that, that childish playground stuff, and, you know, just to stop and pause. And then the next thing after pausing is to put yourself in the other person's shoes and go, what have I done? How am I acting that they are coming to me with conflict? What, or what are they worried about that, that makes them that, that, you know, to behave in this way. If I can try and stop and take a pause and understand that, I'll have more chance of, of then actually communicating with them, understanding and finding some common ground. But, and I, how many times in our life you look back, you go, yeah, you know, I talk to myself, oh, sometimes you just got to stand up to yourself. And the only thing you get from it is more conflict, more conflict. And it, it just runs on and on and on and getting a handle on, you know, there's no good ever comes from that only ever get more conflict from conflict there are very few times in life where you have to stand up for yourself and, and you know on the greatest scale you know what's happening in the ukraine is is one of them but in our lives there's not very many of them where you know this diffusing or finding a way around conflict is isn't the right path yeah it's so much isn't it i love what you're saying there about putting yourself in the other person's shoes you know pressing that pause putting yourself in the other person's shoes is such a powerful experience in, in and of itself, isn't it? Um, and I, you know, I'm sure, you know, most, most people have sent an email they have regretted. And um, it's nothing better is than writing an email and putting it in draft before you send it would be so helpful. Yeah. You know, there was a, a, there was one that really got my mind on that one, which was when we were doing the session. So. The aggression, the, the kind of front footed, you know, not, not nice stuff. I was also an aggressive driver, but you know, and, and, um, I remember in one of the NLP sessions, one of the examples they gave about put yourself in the other person's shoes is the next time you're behind, you know, somebody or somebody wants to come and cut in on you or, or they're driving really and slowly, slowly in front of you in your mind, they are incompetent. They can't drive for toffee. They're rude. They're pushing their way in. Think about this. Think about the person in front of you that's slow and is, is slowing you down and holding you up. Imagine they're your parents, elderly, just trying to get somewhere, confused, worried, nervous about it. And, and think about how you want other people to treat them. Or the person who comes up on the inside 
you know, and, and wants to get into the queue of traffic, yeah, they may just be trying to, to, to steal a little march, but maybe they're trying to get somewhere to see someone that they need to go and see. And maybe they're trying to get to the hospital or maybe they've got something, you know, really important in their life. You know, you don't know that. And you know what, which side do you want to fall on? You fight fall on the side of maybe there's some real good reason why they have to do that or, you know, put themselves in your shoes and take the view of, you know, that that's the, the of why, why it might be important for them to be doing what they're doing just now. And I, yeah. I think that's usually useful and it won't be true all the time, but the other one won't be true either. Oh, look at this behavior again. Yeah, I'll, just, yeah. I'll just inch forward a little bit and make sure they don't get in. Thanks, Paul. Sorry. And your final tip. No, that's great. And your final tip, being honest with yourself about where your mental health has been in the past will help you look after it in the present. Wow. How true. Fantastic. So, Paul, I'd just like to finish by asking you a few quick fire questions. Ladies and gentlemen, he knows nothing what's coming to him. So here goes. <laughs> quick fire. So quick response. We'll move on to the next one. Your first question is, what does vulnerability mean to you? Uh, I'm a Brenny Brown fan, so I hear that and say shame. Yeah. Okay. And if you notice someone struggling, what's the first thing you would do? Um, so if you're engaging with them, I've heard that um, trying to make your question start with what is less judgmental and can be more helpful. And what message would you give to your younger self? Oh, I don't think we have time to answer that one. <laughs> what message would you give to other people who are having difficulty sleeping? Oh, so now the message I would give to my younger self and anybody else is get a handle on this stuff earlier. Don't wait till you're in your mid 30s for me before you get it sorted out and i think our generation our younger generation are much much better shape than mine ever were in terms of getting your head around the, the big picture things in life but that would be be my advice understand this stuff not, not just for the sleep i think if you you don't you, you maybe we would have gone near the sleep if you did if you'd have done this and um, for me i'd be teaching nlp and psychology in school i think it's a skill for life skill for life yeah yeah i think the thing is all our all our emotions are a call to action right but we can spend an awful lot of time ignoring them and actually it's when we start listening to them that things things start to to be easier for us i think often yeah lovely if you could wave a magic wand pole at every workplace in terms of mental health what would you make happen Oh, well, I suppose it, 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 it very trite, but if we wave the magic wand and make people be kind to each other, because I think the, the kindness at the heart of it is it would take away the prejudice, the bias, the belittling, the marginalization. Yeah, be kind to people. Fantastic. What a great message to end on there. Thank you very much. I'm just going to ask Agus to, to come in now. Thank you so much. 
Thank you, Paul. Wow, what a journey. I've known you for quite a number of years now, and it has never once crossed my mind that you could have been aggressive or somebody who, you know, created conflict. It's never even crossed my mind. So thank you for your very frank and honest uh, talk. You know, it was fascinating, actually. And, uh, you know, some of the big messages, having the time to get a level of understanding about yourself. Yeah. And how, you know, how true that is. And open the door to what your mind can do for you. Yeah. And I really, really like that. As well as, of course, prioritizing what keeps you well. And that exercise and all that type of thing. And insert the pause now. Yeah. Great message here. Also, getting the crank kicked out of you was the enabler for all this. <laughs> and that's one of the greatest of messages, is it? <laughs> no, but it's honest. It just shows, you know, sometimes where we have to go, yeah, to, you know, to reach that enlightenment, if you like. So, yeah, fascinating. Thank you very much, Paul. You know, love working with you guys as far as in healing. And that was really, really good. Thank you. Next month, on the 16th of June at 12 noon, we have Nazia Lamut. Nazia is an Earth Intelligence Sales Engineer. How's that for a title, a job title? She is also chairperson of the Scottish Government's Equality and Wellbeing Manufacturing Group. So promises to be really, really interesting. Please come and join us. And she can get in touch with us if we can help you. We work with all levels of organized, in an organization. And follow, do things like follow us on LinkedIn. Keep an eye for things that are coming out like this. And, um, you know, it'd be a great pleasure to see you all here again. Great. Unless there is any other questions, we will wrap up and go and have our lunches. I just want to say thanks, everyone, for putting your, your comments in the chat. I know we didn't manage to, to read it all. If you, you know, I hope you've had a chance to have a glance at what people have been writing, because there's certainly some lots of great comments in there that we didn't, all, didn't manage to get to all of them. But thank you. Thank you again, Paul. Thank you, everyone, for yeah, coming. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Wellbeing Hour. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. These events take place regularly, so do join us for more. And if your organisation would like to develop a mentally healthy culture, we'd be happy to work with your senior team, people managers and frontline staff. Please get in touch at headtorch.org. We look forward to hearing from you.